when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Any idiot can say whatever they want, and they usually do, and they're negative. And all I see, to me, I've gotten to a point now when I see things like that, I feel sorry that those people feel that way, that their lives don't have the purpose, the passion, and the excitement and the enjoyment that some of us do. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sunbelt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. And as my, as the head football coach at South Carolina, my job is to do what I feel is best for the University of South Carolina football program today and going forward in the future. And that's what I did. We wish him well and uh, have nothing but uh, 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 we, we wish him well. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm flying solo for this one. Big Orange Balls, Cousin Shane needed the day off. That man's worked eight consecutive days, believe it or not. With no Shane on the show, though, I reached out to Neil Blackman Covers Florida for Saturday down south. Wanted to get his thoughts on Dan Mullen's contract extension. Talked a little bit about the Gators' upcoming season, so I think you guys will enjoy that. Get some Gator knowledge up in here. But, uh, hey, it's going to be a good episode. Like I shared on the last episode, if you missed it, go back and tune into it. Hey, we've got all 14 SEC koozies finally in our possession. So a lot of Missouri Vanderbilt people waiting for those. Those are heading out. And uh, had a lot of other people reach out. So if you haven't done so already, give us that five-star written review. We'll ship you out a beer koozie of your choice. Now that we got all 14 of those bad. But enough about that. Probably tired of me saying it. (laughs) Let's get right into the action. And, uh, you know, before we go around the league real quick, just want to note how nice it is that, you know, officially this week here, June 1, recruiting is open back up. We all know that. We've referenced it before. But, you know, it just feels normal again. Seeing uh, SEC coaches, assistants, and the prospects themselves from all across the SEC tweeting out their visits, tweeting out incoming, you know, hype. We've got uh, some coaches, you know, they can't reference the players by name, so they never do, but they're clever about how they get this information out. They're all fired up, trying to get that hype, trying to capture that momentum while they can with the recruiting, opening up, and it's going to be open for the next several weeks. So there's going to be tons and tons of action on the recruiting front, so can't wait to see that. And I just thought, you know, I'm not going to do a whole big ranking list here or anything. Probably tired of us uh, going down list season here. But, you know, everybody stands to gain from the recruiting opening back up. But there's a couple programs in particular that I think clearly have a ton to gain in the SEC. And it's three obvious candidates, really. Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Missouri. It may be tough to believe, but 
Those coaching staffs have not even had anybody on campus since signing day of uh, 20, what would it be, 2020. I mean, it's been that long since these programs have been able to host recruits. So, yeah, Kiffin and, and Sam Pittman and now Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri, they're all doing well in recruiting, but they've been doing that through Zoom, through social media, through calls and whatnot. So it's just going to be on another level. And the reason I single out those three, not Mississippi State, which is there too. Mississippi State's doing really well this recruiting class, so maybe not fair to not include them because I, they certainly stand to gain a lot as well. But the way I'm looking at this is, uh, you know, looking at Ole Miss and the, just the how they ended last season beating Indiana in the bowl game. Missouri didn't get to go to a bowl game, neither did Arkansas, but much better than people anticipated. And those two programs, the you know, the, the anticipation for year two of the Sam Pittman era and the Eli Drinkowitz era. You know, I can't remember a time these two programs legitimately had this much momentum at this time of the calendar. So Ole Miss, Arkansas, Missouri, they have a ton to gain here with getting a lot of prospects on campus. Like I said, probably the vast majority of the guys they're going after right now have never been to those campuses. Maybe never even seen a game in those stadiums. So there's a lot to be gained for those three and Mississippi State. We'll throw them in the mix. But also, of course, Auburn, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt, the first-year coaches, you know, they're a little bit behind the eight ball. I don't know if they can play catch-up this quick, but they're sure as hell going to try. And this time, particularly thinking about South Carolina and their new facility, having that bad boy open to these prospects, that's really, really going to help the Gamecocks. We know Tennessee's got outstanding facility. Auburn's got one opening soon. I believe 2022, that thing will be open. Vanderbilt's made the commitment. But those programs are going to have a lot to sell in the coming weeks and months. Uh, this is going to be great news for all SEC teams. But just like I said, keep an eye out on those teams, particularly Ole Miss, Arkansas, Missouri. They really stand to, I think, have their stock in the recruiting world go through the roof the next couple of weeks when these prospects finally getting on campus. Uh, because we know Alabama, Georgia, Florida, LSU, Texas A&M, those teams, <laughs> they recruit at such an elite level. Hell, they don't even need visits. So it's just like putting the cherry on top of the Sunday for those programs. But some of these other ones, I think there's just so much to gain after I think it was 440-something days of having the recruiting calendar essentially shut down for the most part. But all right, moving on. Hey, we got a little, a couple quick hitters around the league. So before we get to our interview here with uh, Neil Blackman, let's go around the league. Now let's go around the league. My my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So uh, (laughs) I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up, and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why, why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. Right, we'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. 
All right, like I said, a couple of quick items. Nothing too massive happened since the last time we had a podcast here, but uh, let's start here on Rocky Top. Where Shane... Man, I had Shane in the dumps there talking about the Vols when we were discussing uh, the games that will impact the SEC race this year. So let's keep it on a positive note here. And we've got some good news for the Vols because two of their better signees, four-star quarterback Caden Salter, four-star linebacker Aaron Willis, no longer suspended. So they were part of the group that uh, got in trouble in the dorm room. And uh, we all know that saga if you're a Tennessee fan. But that's over. They're both back with the team. Suspension ended. And who knows? Caden Salter, you know, he's kind of the forgotten man in the quarterback race. From what I understand, Josh Heupel's system, not exactly the most advanced in the world. So, you know, it might be unrealistic to think that uh, he'll be the starting quarterback when the season starts, but who knows? There's been plenty of freshmen that come on late in the season. He may be the starting quarterback by the end of it. Who knows? And if not, I mean, I think he's got a really bright future on Rocky Top. And Aaron Willis, hell, everybody knows how bad Tennessee needs linebackers. I believe he is now the uh, highest rated signee in Tennessee's last class. So getting him eligible, getting him on the field, on the practice field at least, you know, I think uh, there's no way that he doesn't see the field for the Vols considering his talent and the lack of depth, overall depth. I mean, they've added some guys with the transfer portal, so it's not as dire as it once was heading into the offseason here. But uh, Tennessee needs linebacker bodies, and they're getting it in Aaron Willis. So, so two Positive notes here for the Vols. And that's, uh, hey, that's reason for optimism on Rocky Top here in the middle of the week. All right, next, uh, let's kick it on down to the Plains. War damn eagle. Because Auburn, they needed to add some bodies at the running back position, and they've done it with uh, former Central Michigan running back Jordan Ingram. He's an Alabama native. He was a three-star recruit in the 2020 recruiting cycle you know, this is a kind of an interesting one where he's in the building. He's not going on scholarship till the fall. But, hell, I mean, he's not going to be missing much during the summer anyway. So uh, Auburn really needed some bodies at the running back position. They currently only have three guys, three scholarship running backs, I should say, on the roster with uh, the great Tate Bigsby, Sean Shivers, and Devin Barrett, who most recently played defensive back. For the Tigers, so they're really thin. They've uh, they got another signee coming in, so it's not that dire. But soon having uh, two more bodies at the running back position, you can never have enough running backs. So Auburn really, really needed to add somebody here via the transfer portal, and they're getting a guy, Jordan Ingram, who's got four years to play. He didn't see the field last year for Central Michigan. That's probably why he left there. But like I said, Alabama native, under the radar prospect. Now he's made his way. To the SEC, and that, you know, it's not like it's huge news or anything, but uh, there may come a time where Ingram needs to carry the ball for Auburn because, you know, four or five deep at running back position in the SEC, uh, you, you just have a feeling he's going to be needed on the field this year in some capacity. All right, so we got to the additions. Now we're having a couple subtractions here. Let's kick it on down to Oxford. miss. Where linebacker Jaquez Jones has entered the portal, not officially left or anything. Uh, we've had a lot of guys here in the portal the last couple of days across the SEC. 
Jones led the team with uh, 75 tackles. He's got over 180 in his career. And, of course, we know the Rebels, you know, they were pretty terrible on defense last year. So I think tackles is kind of a misleading stat. The fact that he led the team, I'm not saying he's a bad player or anything, but that doesn't necessarily equate to being a great player to me. And Ole Miss added uh, several transfers, some of them that were ineligible last season, some that are eligible immediately this upcoming season. So, yeah, you hate to lose a guy with experience, certainly someone that led your team in tackles. You'd want him back, especially after he took part in spring and everything. But I could see some people spinning this as a big loss, but in reality, I don't think this will be much of a loss really for Ole Miss. All right, staying in the West, let's kick it on down to Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide! Where we got a couple of guys no longer on the roster here for Alabama. Running back Keelan Robinson has entered the transfer portal. Now, he opted out last season. So, hey, they won the national championship, won the SEC without him. Again, not a huge loss, but uh, running back depth. They got several talented guys there at Alabama, but some of them have had injury issues. So, you know, similar to Auburn, you can never have too many running backs, and it'll be interesting to see if Alabama, you know, maybe maybe they have to add someone to make up for this for Keelan Robinson jumping into the portal. But he's not the only one. Linebacker Jerez Parks no longer listed on the roster, and he wasn't on the A-Day roster either. So, you know, Alabama <laughs> added Henry T. So you're adding a potential All-American, All-SEC type player. I think you can afford to lose a linebacker like Parks who didn't factor much there at Alabama his entire career. But still, just wanted to make that note. And sticking on a similar theme, jump on down to Athens. Oh, dog, sick him! <laughs> where redshirt freshman defensive back Deron Branch, same deal, no longer on the team. He wasn't on the G-Day roster this spring. He's had an interesting journey here. He was a former Ole Miss commit that flipped on National Signing Day to Georgia. And then when last season started, he wasn't on the roster either. So I don't know what's going on there, but, you know, Georgia's been adding several defensive backs this offseason. Had they not done that, this would probably be bigger news. Branch did play in a couple games last season, but probably wasn't going to be a real factor for the Bulldogs. Just wanted to make that note. And last but not least, LSU jump on down to Baton Rouge because redshirt freshman running back Cavante Bradford has entered the transfer portal and not a stunner here. Never, he only carried the ball like 10 times, 58 yards, but Coach O did uh, single out Bradford as, you know, a guy to watch this time last year. Just never really managed to make that impact in Baton Rouge. So LSU, you know, we keep hyping them up. That was one area that uh, they really struggled last year, running the ball. It's probably more on the offensive line than it is the running backs, but just something to think about here. I think uh, Bradford may have got passed up on the depth chart based on what I've heard. but And they have their two leading rushers from last season. Davis Price and uh, John Emery, they're both coming back. So, again, not a huge loss. Just wanted to make sure that uh, everybody knew. Man, it's <laughs> you think these uh, transfers are, are ending here in the summer. Still got guys jumping into the portal. Here we are in June 2nd. So, it's just it's pretty interesting to see. But all right, I spieled on long enough. Let's kick it over to our interview with Neil Blackman. Well, we're pleased now to be joined by Neil Blackman. You can follow him on Twitter at NWBlackman, and that is in the show notes. So you recommend all, not only the Florida fans, but SEC fans, give Neil a follow. 
and he's the host of the Florida Basketball Hour podcast. And of course, he does a tremendous job covering the Gators for Saturday Down South. Neil, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, and I really, really wanted to have you on to talk about this uh, Dan Mullen contract extension because you reached out to me and it's not just you a lot of people I'm seeing a lot of Florida fans you know kind of I don't want to say not excited but maybe the the best way to to kind of explain it is I'm seeing so many fans from across the SEC excited that the fact that Dan Mullen got an extension so uh, what's just the you know the feedback you've been seeing from uh, Dan Mullen getting not only an extension but a raise here in Gainesville yeah, I think it's interesting that 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 is some of the feedback from from rival schools seem not unhappy that that, that Mullen got an extension, which usually uh, you know you can make of that what you will, especially from the, from the Georgia fan base. But they seemed Georgia fan base certainly seemed pleased that Mullen was extended. Uh, meanwhile, the Florida fan base, I think by and large, was pleased just because. It, this seems like they don't have to deal with the NFL question anymore, which, uh, you know, Mullen wasn't the most, the answers he was giving at press conferences weren't the most comforting. If you're a Florida fan and you really like Dan Mullen, they were kind of evasive. Um, and, you know, he, he, he had one comment before a press conference in spring where he was like, you know, if you want to ask Scott Strickland about an extension, that'd be a great question for him. Um, so he was kind of very blunt about it. Um, and I think this provides stability right when the contact period opens again, which is probably the really good news from the Florida standpoint, especially because at least as it's shaping up right now, you know, I think Mullen hasn't landed a top five class yet, but he's managed to stay either right on the edge of the top 10 or in the top 10. And this is the class where they still have some work to do. And I think Stability should help Florida on the on the recruiting trail a little bit. Uh, so at the end of the day, I mean, if Florida fans, you know, the end of last season aside, maybe, but if your biggest gripe with Dan Mullen is, you know, maybe his press conference, I don't want, I don't know if you want to call it antics, but just his uh, behavior there. If that's your biggest issue with him, I think he got a hell of a coach, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a top, and I've said it, you know, before and written it, I think he's a top 10 coach in college football. Um, you know, I think where you place him in that grouping is we can all debate that. Um, I think he probably has to recruit better. If he's going to get into the top five uh, or he's going to have to develop a, you know, a transcendental quarterback again, which he's done it before. Um, you know, I guess he was close with Kyle Trask, but the defense didn't really, uh, come around. So I think if, if your if your biggest complaint is how he's behaving at press conferences, then yeah, you're pretty pleased. It's also, you know, they just gave him a $1.5 million raise when we found out the program was basically on the Animal House version of double secret probation for the last year. <laughs> and, you know, he's got a show cause. Um, Florida's already completed the punishments that were meted out by the NCAA on Mullen, but you know, I think that's something that probably concerns some Florida fans. But, yeah, I mean, you're still getting a guy who is the only coach ever to go to three New Year's Six Bowls in his first three years on campus. So I think – and that's not just at Florida. That's anywhere in the Power Five. So I think Florida's pretty pleased about that. But, you know, there's still that question of of are they going to take the next step or not. And 
uh, you know, this is they're paying him like they expect to. Now, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, Matt Hayes, the great Matt Hayes there, he writes also for Saturday Down South, had him on the podcast a couple weeks ago, but he, he wrote a piece about Dan Mullen and just about, you know, how the administration there in Florida really takes seriously doing things the right way and them being upset with, uh, you know, Mullen, I don't want to say breaking NCAA rules. I mean, I guess technically he did, but so did Jimbo was tagged for the same thing. And, and Georgia and Alabama have, you know, they've been tagged with minor issues in recent years. So uh, can you explain or, or just maybe give insight to the listeners how serious that's taken at Florida to where uh, this, this incident that Mullen did have, uh, how big of a deal that was for Florida? Yeah, I mean it was a, it was a really serious deal, and and you know it's interesting if you're if you're an older SEC fan, and I think a lot of you that read Saturday Down South have, you know, they're people that follow SEC football and have since since basically since they were in the, the cradle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so Florida had this bad boy, well earned, bad boy reputation uh, in in the eighties. I mean, this is one of the dirtiest programs in the country and Bill Arnsparger, who was a Florida alum, left LSU and, and came to Florida and along with Jeremy Foley cleaned it up. And so Florida was the only program, even Vanderbilt, the only program in the SEC that had had no NCAA punishments uh, for over 25 years. So they were what Jeremy Foley called it, a championship experience with integrity. Um, and so when Mullen broke these rules, I, you know, it made Scott Strickland furious uh, because he had put all this trust in this guy that he had brought to Mississippi state mm-hmm. and then brought to Florida. Um, and, you know, for all the bad boy stuff around urban, they, you know, that they weren't under NCAA trouble. Um, and so I think that that was kind of, you know, a real trying time for Mullen and the way that Florida kind of got around it becoming an even bigger deal was they were winning on the field, which is, isn't that always the case? Um, but now, you know, the, the way that they close the season, obviously with three consecutive losses, the Alabama loss, not so bad, but uh, the LSU loss at home, not good. And then just, you know, laying an egg in the cotton bowl. Uh, I think, I think some there's some of the fan base that, that has some anxiety about it. You know, uh, and the other question is, you know, <laughs> what did it accomplish? Like I said, he's, it's not like he's recruiting at a, at a top five elite level. I mean, Georgia has all these minor infractions, as you mentioned, uh, that they kind of pick up and, and they forfeit visits and stuff and they still sign top five classes. Uh, so, you know, I'm not saying that, you should cheat, but I think certainly if you're going to cheat, like like Mullen was brave, if you're going to break an NCAA rule, there better be some sort of reward. Uh, and Florida didn't get any of that either. I hate to put it that way, but it's just kind of true. And at Florida, it's a huge deal because, you know, the other programs are also clean and, and known for being clean. I mean, Billy Donovan built a basketball power the right way, right? That's why everybody respected him so much. Um, and for all the complaints people have about Mike White, you know, he's maybe one of the only coaches in SC basketball who hasn't been in trouble with the NCAA. So it's a big deal at Florida. 
Now, I'm glad you uh, referenced the recruiting there because I'm seeing a lot of angst. Florida State is doing really well. They got a couple five stars and Florida fans. It's, this seems like an annual thing here where we're, we're kind of angry that uh, the Gators are not ranked higher in the summer as if that matters for anything. And then, uh, you know, a big season leads into a nice signing period where, you know, I guess Florida's still not technically where they want to be in those final rankings, but I mean, they're consistently hovering around top 10, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, what are your thoughts on all this? Maybe you're not seeing as much as I am, but just Florida fans kind of eyeing Tallahassee and seeing what they're doing on the recruiting trail. Is that a, is that a real issue that you're sensing among Gator fans at the moment? Yeah, I think that they stopped worrying as much about my last year. It was Miami that they were worried about. And then <laughs> they ended up signing a couple of the kids from Miami Palmetto that everybody wanted. Um, and that kind of cooled off. And now uh, it's FSU, and so they're complaining about everything. They're complaining about the fact that, you know, Florida's administration and the SEC didn't allow out-of-conference games, so that they would have loved to have played Florida State on the field last year for obvious reasons. Um, so, you know, they feel like Mike Norvell kind of got a pass, and now FSU's building a little momentum very quietly. Uh, but but not quietly enough for where like Florida, some some pieces of the Florida fan base get anxiety about it. And then the other thing is that Florida's big recruiting strategy shift the last year and a half under Mullen has been we really need to do a better job of keeping kids home. Like they came in and said, well we're we're going to recruit nationally, right? Like that's what all these big coaches say when they go to a new program. Oh, we're going to recruit nationally. Um, and, you know, at Florida, Steve Spurrier just used to sign the best guys in state most of the time, and he would sprinkle in a, a national guy here and there, but it was good enough, of course. Um, and Florida needed to do a better job of keeping kids in Florida, keeping them from going to Georgia, keeping the best kids in South Florida from going to Alabama to the extent that that's possible. Um, and... So now losing some kids to Florida State really freaks people out because they're still losing guys to Georgia. We all saw what happened with Eric Gilbert even yesterday. So, um, you know, I think it's a lot of anxiety. And to not be outside of the top ten, you know, there's just kind of this doom and gloom, like, well, Mullen's never going to sign a top five class. So if he's going to win a championship at Florida, it's like I said, it's going to have to be a transcendental quarterback who who accomplishes that. And I, I think some Florida fans are like, well, look at all the quarterbacks he's developed. He can do it. And others are like, man, imagine if Kirby does get over the hump this year. Like, where does that put Florida, you know? Um, so I think, I think it's just a lot of anxiety all around. Well, clearly Scott Strickland doubling down on uh, Dan Mullen thinks he can deliver all that. So I want to ask you, Neil, personally, do you think – that Dan Mullen is the coach that uh, can get Florida back to that elite level, win an SEC title, and, and you know I don't want to say national championship. I know that's the expectation, but let's just say get to the college football playoff. Do you think Dan Mullen will accomplish that? Doesn't even have to be this season necessarily, but during his tenure there in Gainesville. Well, I think if if look if they expand the playoff, I think he'll get in pretty consistently. Um. But let's say they don't expand it. Let's say it stays at four for five more years. You know, I think he's going to have a great shot in 2022. A great shot. 
Um, but I'm on record saying next year is a transitional season for Florida. I do think they're going to be quite good on defense um, to the point where it kind of surprises some people. Um, but I don't know, you know, I just don't see how you replace as much firepower as they have to replace offensively, even even though I think Emory Jones is pretty good. Um, and I also think, you know, if Kirby's going to win the title at Georgia, it's going to happen this fall. So, um, you know, I don't I don't think it happens next year. So then you're talking about 2022, which for Mullen is year five, right? And can you do it that late? No, most people don't. Uh, but a lot of people have talked about this build as being kind of a Clemson build because people like you that have covered the SEC forever, you get where Florida was when they brought Dan Mullen, right? Mm-hmm. But the Florida fan base doesn't necessarily get that. Like They don't understand that this program was – nine, ten years removed from being nationally competitive and getting much closer to what it was in the early 80s before the probation and the great teams that, that were the best teams money could buy than the Spurrier and Meyer years. So what Mullen has done at Florida is very impressive, I think. But, you know, I think that last step is the hardest part. And, you know, we've seen it. We've seen it at Georgia with Kirby, although he recruits better than Mullen, doesn't coach as well, but recruits better. Um, and then we've seen it, you know, in other places with, you know, it took years for LSU to, they needed Joe Burrow to finally get over Alabama. So I don't know. Um, he can do it, but again, I still think it's a transcendental quarterback question. So is that Emory Jones? Maybe. Is it Anthony Richardson, the, the kid that's behind him? That's probably a better bet. Uh, you know, anybody, you just look at him on a sideline and he kind of has that, that kid's like just a freak of nature. Um, but we'll see. Well, I'm with you with the Florida defense. If you, if anybody missed it, Neil wrote about that for uh, Saturday down South. I think it was a couple weeks ago, but I expect that defense to be a lot better. I know people chuckle all the time when I say Todd Grantham, I, I got respect for the job, you know, not last year necessarily, but over the span of his career. So I think they do take an, a step forward. And, I, you know, I think you, you kind of just gave away, you know, you're leaning heavily Georgia in the East, it sounds like. But how big of an issue would it be if uh, Florida finishes, God forbid, third in the SEC next year? Would that be, would that just be a travesty there in Gainesville? <laughs> I think the fan base would freak out more than Dan Mullen. Mm-hmm. And, and they would freak out more than me or maybe, you know, probably you or a lot of people that cover the sport. Like, I still think this is a program that's trending towards kind of, I don't want to say 2022 or bust for Mullen, but it's kind of like that. Also, the schedule next year is just murderous. Um, so, you know, could they finish third in the league next season in the, in the division? Sure. That, that's possible. Missouri, I think, is going to be pretty decent. Um, but, yeah, they can also win the, <laughs> the division, right? I mean, it's, it's always possible that, that they go 6-2 and two by winning at the cocktail party and Georgia drops a game somewhere else. Um, and, boom, then you're back in Atlanta at 10-2. and two. I do think 10-2 and two is probably the ceiling for Florida next fall. So I just don't see how they beat Alabama, even in the swamp. 
At least they're getting that game early, though. I mean, that could play a factor. Bryce Young, first time on the road as the starting quarterback. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, that, that, you're getting them at the right time, at least. Yeah, that's the only time that you'd want to play them. And, and Dan, I mean, you know this. Most people that follow this, you closely know. I mean, Dan's Mississippi State teams were, were usually very – they never beat them, but they were, those games were almost always competitive. Um, so he, he tends to coach them up, and then they get out-talented. Um, you know, and then sometimes you just lose a great game like the SEC championship. But, yeah, Bryce Young, first road game, full swamp thanks to, you know, nature healing. So uh, that'll be fun. All right, last question for you, Neil. I can't let you out of here without uh, a Georgia question. I don't know about you, but my timeline is nothing but Georgia and Florida going at it for basically six months of the offseason. How fast are they going to run Kirby's ass out of Athens if he pulls a Butch Jones here and does not deliver an SEC championship? And, and hell, at this point, he may have to deliver a national championship this season to keep that fan base happy. Oh, I think if they don't win the national championship this year, that you know, I'll, I'll use, I'll use, I'll be blunt. I think it's a failure. Like with that roster, um, with that receiver room, now they've had Eric Gilbert. Uh, the, that running back room is not as good as it's it, as it was the last time they went to the playoffs, but still pretty good backs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. People have said he hasn't had a quarterback room that good before. Yes, he has. Um, so don't tell me that, that they can't mess it up. But for what they want to do offensively, it's a great quarterback room. You know, Justin Fields was never going to work at Georgia, and that's Justin Fields' fault for making that choice um, to some extent. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you think they'll run him out? Uh as an alum, I think that complicates it. Uh, but I do think, I do think Georgia fans, they've got to be tired. You know, on Twitter, they're tired of the 1980 thing, and mm-hmm. it's just getting old. You know, they haven't won a national championship in in any of the big three sports since the baseball team in 1990. It's the longest streak in the SEC. Um, you know, I mean that's that's embarrassing a little bit. And yeah, I mean, how can you not win with a team this good? I mean, they have, they have more talent than Alabama by a reasonably significant margin. Right. And yeah, I, I don't necessarily think they'll run him off. Like you said, I mean, he is an alum, but if they, if Alabama's got something in Bryce Young, they're probably going to be pretty nasty in 2022. You already said Florida, they they'll be on the up and up potentially by that time. And if Florida, passes them up but in 2022 i think uh i think that may be the time where they they pull the trigger if kirby can't get it done before then yeah no i mean i i agree with that entirely and you know i mean jimbo doing whatever he's doing in college station too so i mean you've got just kind of this storm and a lot of those programs are down this year and like you said alabama's never down but there are some questions a lot of people to replace even at a place like alabama so, you know, and Georgia's schedule is soft. Everything points to this being the time in Athens. And, and can Kirby finish the job? Hasn't yet. We'll see. <laughs> All right. He's Neil Blackman. Got to follow him at NW Blackman 
and subscribe to the Florida Basketball Hour and check out his stuff on Saturday Down South. Neil, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Hey, man, enjoyed it. Appreciate you. All right, I hope you guys like that. I, once again, just want to say thanks to Neil for hopping on the line here and dropping some Florida knowledge. I think, you know, he really started to get going there when I mentioned them Georgia Bulldogs, which is, <laughs> that's, a, that's a theme. That's a theme not only this offseason, but damn near every offseason. Them Georgia Bulldogs and Florida Gators love to go back at it all offseason long. And that's, hey, that's great. Everybody got to do their barking. Everybody's got to do their chomping. And that's what makes that damn game in Jacksonville so special. It really, truly is a 365-day affair. And if it wasn't, that would just mean that people stopped caring. And it, as Shade likes to say, hell, you're listening to an SEC podcast here on June 3rd. You love SEC football. You care about it year-round. And that's why this sport is just, there's no, there's nothing else quite like it. You only get one shot at your rival each year. And that's just part of the fun. So uh, thanks again, Neil, for hopping on the line. I think, I hope you guys really appreciate it. Uh, you know, his comments there on the Florida Gators and Dan Mullen, where, man, I just continue to shake my head. It's such an interesting reaction I'm seeing across the SEC. All these SEC fans fired up that Dan Mullen got an extension. Most Florida fans happy. Some questioning what the hell's going on there. Scott Strickland getting a little extension happy. Extended the uh, basketball coach. I think the women's basketball coach as well, and those programs are struggling. So uh, Scott Strickland, I mean, my God, I don't know what he's on, but uh, he's he's just handing out checks at the moment. So Dan Mullen got in line, got himself paid. Good for him, I say. But uh, now the expectations are there. The expectations are always there at Georgia. Win the SEC, head to the college football playoff, and that's what happens when you're paid like a top five coach. So. Just ratcheting up the pressure here in the SEC, but that's why we love it. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode of that SEC podcast. I hope I didn't bore you guys to tears without uh, Cousin Shane on the line here, but uh, hopefully he'll be back for the next one. Just needed to give the the big Tennessee homer a day off here. Much needed day off. But, uh, hey, that's going to do it for this episode. Appreciate each and every one of you hanging on and especially appreciate each and every one of you for hopping on the line and and sticking it out through the long long college offseason we're less than a hundred days away from the coming college football season i can't wait right guys i'm out of here catch you on the next one